Welcome to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. Walking with Purpose is a Catholic women's apostolate that creates fresh and relevant Bible studies to lead women to personally know Christ through Scripture. Hi, I'm Lisa Brennickmeyer, and I'm joined by Laura Phelps. We are two friends passionate about unpacking God's Word and applying it to our everyday lives. Each week, we will step out of the discouragement the world provides by grabbing hold of the hope we find in God's Word. Never have we been more convinced of the importance of women being grounded in hope. No matter where you are in the spiritual journey, we pray you'll stick around because God has a word for your heart and His word changes everything. So open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in. Hello, and welcome back to the Hope for Right Now podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Brennickmeyer. And I'm your other host, Laura Phelps. And I can't believe this, but we have come to our final episode in this podcast series. Like, that's just amazing. And what we've been doing the past weeks, we've been looking at the famous I Am statements by Jesus in the book of John. So we've seen Jesus reveal himself as the bread of life in John 6, the light of the world in John 8, We've seen the door and the good shepherd in John 10, the resurrection and the life in John 11, and last week, the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. So today, we are looking at the seventh I am statement that we find in John 15, 1, and this is where Jesus says, I am the true vine. And this is just such a beautiful teaching, and we're going to look at the first five verses of John 15 just to get the fullness of it. So. You all know your drill by now, right? If you can, and if you've got your Bible handy, I want you to open it on up. And we're going to take a look right now at John 15, verses 1 through 5. And we read, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. All right, Lisa, can you take us deeper into the meaning of this awesome passage? Yeah, I would love to because this is one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture and has been really for my whole adult life. But the thing is that sometimes when something is a favorite and we've read it tons of times, it can start to lose its freshness. So it's still true and we hear it and it still comforts. Um, it's still powerful, but it doesn't necessarily hit us like it did when we first read it. And so I was super excited when I was introduced to a translation of the Bible that was new for me. And this was when I was meeting with a wonderful priest, Father Barry Brom, in the Tyburn Convent in London, which in and of itself was just so cool. And I was sitting with him and he was teaching me about how to listen to God through scripture. And as he was talking to me, he just reached behind him and he grabbed a Bible and it was a translation by someone named Ronald Knox. And as he read it to me, it just, what he was reading came alive in a totally new way. And when I got home, I searched for that translation and I have the Bible in two volumes from it. And I just love it. So I would love to reread that passage again, but read it from the Knox translation. And it's not super different, but there are some subtle nuances that can bring new meaning to the passage for us when we read it with his translation. So John 15, one through five, I am the true vine and it is my father who tends it. The branch that yields no fruit in me, 
he cuts away. The branch that does yield fruit, he trims clean so that it may yield more fruit. You, through the message I have preached to you, are clean already. You have only to live on in me, and I will live on in you. The branch that does not live on in the vine can yield no fruit of itself. No more can you if you do not live on in me. So before we look at how this applies to ourselves, I want to dig a little deeper into the context of these verses. And a good principle to follow in Bible study is to go broader and go older. And what I mean by go broader is to read a bigger section around a verse. So let's do that here. When we read a broader section, so when we include John 13 and John 14, we realize that Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before he dies. That's the setting for Jesus speaking these words. So because of that, we see Jesus is not speaking to a crowd. And in fact, Judas has already left. So Jesus is just speaking to the future apostles. And this is Jesus training his apostles for their future ministry. This is Jesus giving them the training manual. And this is what we see when we grow broader with this passage. Now, what I mean by go older is to go back, to go years back to the Old Testament. And this gives us even more context for what we're reading. And what we discovered in the Old Testament is that the imagery of a vine was really significant to the Jewish people. And throughout the Old Testament, when you read about a vine, it's referring to Israel. And one place you can see this is Psalm 88 through 19, if you want to go look that up on your own. And that section of scripture is talking about God digging the vine of the Hebrew people up out of Egypt and then transplanting them in the promised land. Another place where we see the vine in the Old Testament is that we can see it in the book of Maccabees. And the vine was actually the emblem on the coins of the Maccabees. And what we know from from historical study is the vine was the Jewish people's national symbol at that time. And the vine was also one of the most glorious motifs in the temple. So there was this gorgeous vine made of gold that stood over the entrance to the holy place. And people would donate gold to just have a grape or a leaf or a berry made. And the priest would add it to the vine. And the person who had donated that that grape or that leaf would have made a donation of gold or of, of money in order for that to take place. So the vine was a big deal to the Israelites. They identified themselves with it. But if we look at how the vine is described in the Old Testament, we're going to see that the vine of Israel was not what it was supposed to be. And this is a really important context for John 15. And if you want to dig a little deeper on your own about this, I encourage you to go to Isaiah 5, and I wish we had time to read it together. But the main point of that chapter in Isaiah is that the vineyard has run wild. It has not yielded the fruit that it was supposed to produce. And then the prophet Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah 2.21, and he says, I planted you in the land like a special vine of the very best Stock. So this is God's voice saying this, right? Through the prophet Jeremiah. I planted you in the land like a special vine of the very best stock. Why in the world have you turned into something like a wild vine that produces rotten, foul smelling grapes? So that's some Old Testament context that we get when we go older. Now let's come forward to John 15 1. What Jesus is doing here is he's taking imagery that the Jewish people have associated with themselves. And what he says to them is, You aren't the true vine. I am. Donating your gold and having your golden grape attached to the temple vine is not what I'm looking for. Belonging to a certain group isn't going to be enough. 
what is critical is that you attach to me, that you see yourself not as the all productive vine, but as a branch that needs to be connected to the true vine. Jesus is telling the disciples in the words of Fulton Sheen that their vitality and energy would come from him and the relationship between them would be organic, not mechanical. He saw those who professed to be united outwardly to him, but who nevertheless would be inwardly separated from him. So what Jesus was saying to them is the only way that you're going to be able to bear fruit is if you are organically, not mechanically, attached to me. So Laura, what are your thoughts on all those things that I just shared? Oh my gosh, there's so much there. And I love it all because like you said, it's such a familiar verse, but when you really dig into it, it's just, it's a little mind boggling actually. Um, When you described, Lisa, the meaning of the vine in the Old Testament, you said a couple of things. I kind of jot them down because they just struck me. So I think they're worth repeating. I hope they're worth repeating. But one of the things you said was the vine wasn't what it was supposed to be. And you also said the vineyard has run wild. It has not yielded the fruit it was supposed to produce. And I'm just, I'm a word geek. Like, I really love words. And, and when I hear supposed to, those two words, I don't know if, like, does anybody else hear this and kind of go back to a time in your past or maybe right now, actually, maybe the present moment when you're not being what you were, quote unquote, supposed to be, right? Like, I think there's a sadness when I think about not becoming what I'm supposed to be or falling short of what God had planned for me. And it could be really painful and definitely embarrassing (laughs) to revisit my years of when I was living apart from God, when I wasn't attached to God. And I'm definitely not going to get into the details of my former life, um, you know, because I think my parents listen to this podcast. But I will say that before I encountered Jesus and found my calling in ministry, I worked at a talent agency in Hollywood. So just picture that. I worked on the corner of Hollywood and Highland And um, after I did that little stint, I actually, I was um, an assistant agent and I represented actors for commercials and I loved it. But I eventually left that job to do what I really thought was my true calling and passion. And that was to be a booking agent at a top modeling agency in Beverly Hills. My friends, my life was so different. I worshiped supermodels like Chrissy Turlington, Alinda Evangelista, like those like first supermodels. And I lived for the Academy Awards. Like that was my Easter Sunday. I planned all around the Academy Awards. And so I hear you talk about that Fulton Sheen quote when you talked about being mechanically attached to Jesus. And I think that's kind of what I was, like mechanically attached. Or as Brant Petrie said, he's um, a research professor at the Augustine Institute, and I love him. He's super smart, but I can understand him. And he says that you can be grafted to the vine but fail to remain. You can be grafted to the vine, but fail to remain. So I look back on that season and I called myself a Catholic, right? I belonged to that group. On occasion, I'd go to church, but I was just outwardly going through the motions, right? I was not in a mutual relationship with Jesus. You know, what do I mean by that? He wasn't shaping my decisions or my actions or my thoughts, not by a long shot, right? So because I was not really attached to him, there was no mutual relationship. There was zero interior impact. Like I wasn't changing on the inside. Did I call myself a Catholic? Absolutely. But I was leading a life unworthy of that call. 
And I love Ephesians 4, verse 1. It reminds us to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And those are words I love, worthy of the calling, right? Because is this not our longing? Just to to become who we are meant to be. And I think the only thing that hurts us more than recalling our failure to remain on the vine is probably our front row seat to our loved ones and watching them cut themselves off from the vine, right? I just, I always wonder when I, when I sit here and I can't see all the listeners, but I wonder how many, how many of you listeners are walking alongside a loved one who is searching for purpose and meaning, but you're watching them look for it outside of a personal relationship with Jesus, right? And like, don't we just want to grab them by their shoulders and shake them super gently, of course, (laughs) but shake them and say, you will never find what you're looking for apart from Jesus. It would be like plugging your phone into the charger at night, right? But failing to plug it into the outlet. And then you wake up in the morning and you wonder why your phone is zero power, right? If our phones are going to be what they are supposed to be, they need to stay plugged in, right? They need to remain plugged into the source that makes everything possible. And it could just be so frustrating to watch the people that we love not become who they are meant to be because they refuse to recognize that Jesus is actually their power source, right? And I can only speak for myself. And I will say this, there will be people who hear this and they're going to think that I'm crazy, (laughs) But just hear me out. When it comes to my children, to the people I care so much about, I honestly care very little about their school grades. Like, I don't know if y'all have power school that like you need to get on and check your kids' grades, but that power school is the death of me. And it's not something I casually check. That is something I need to mentally prepare for. It's like trying on bathing suits, right? Like nobody is like in the mall and you walk by bathing suits and you're like, oh, let's just try one on for fun, right? Like that is something I mentally prepare for. The same as checking my kids' school grades. It's just the death of me. And it's not that I don't care about the grades. It's just like, my friends, we are limping to the finish line. Like every year we limp to the finish line. But I just care about their relationship with Jesus more than I care about their grades. Like that's where my focus goes. My children being grafted and remaining on the vine, that is the most important thing to me. I want them to know Jesus. So kids, if you're listening, just know (laughs) it makes mommy very sad when you're not connected to Jesus. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, If they come to depend on him and stay connected to him, every other prayer that I have for them and that they have for themselves, it will be answered, right? Because Lisa, you said it last week, right? When we talked about Jesus as the way that life is not so much about the decisions we make or the goals that we accomplish, right? But it's about who we choose to be in these goals or accomplishments. So like, that's what I care. It's not that I don't want them to get good grades, but who are they becoming? That's what I most care about. You know, I had a friend say to me the other day, and I just thought it was brilliant. We were praying for each other and offering prayer intentions. And of course, our kids came up and she said, you know, I don't pray for specific things for my children anymore. What I do pray is, please, Lord, do not take them home until they live out the purpose you have for them, right? Like in other words, until they become what they are supposed to be, until they become the branch that bears fruit. Like that is where my heart is at. I want them to bear fruit. And um, I think we have to really look then at John 15 verse two, where it says that we're going to need to be pruned or in that great translation you gave by Knox, cut away or trimmed clean. 
Can you expand a little bit on that, Lisa? Like, what, is, what does it mean in John 15, too, where it says that we need to be pruned? I relate so much to what you're saying in terms of what you want most and what breaks your heart most. I'm, I'm right there with you. And so what that says to me is if we're praying that our kids come to know the Lord or that we come to know the Lord or a loved one comes to know the Lord in a truly transforming, real, organic, not mechanical way, that part of this process is going to be hard stuff. And we need to receive those things from the Lord's hand and trust that he is at work and not rail against the circumstances because the hard things where we're like, what the heck, this is not what I want for myself or for my loved one, for my child, could be the very thing that God is using to answer that far more earnest prayer that we're praying. Because what Jesus is saying to us in John 15 too, is that even with people who are attached to him, there is going to be a need for cleansing or purifying, which, as you said, and as Knox said, he describes as cutting or pruning in the other translation. So let's unpack that that word a little bit. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, describes the Bible as a tool that prunes or cuts. And it says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, or joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So this is saying to us that the word of God, scripture, is living and active. It's not static. It's dynamic. It's moving in your life and moving in my life at the same time, but in different ways. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, meaning it can go somewhere with pinpoint accuracy and hit the mark. And it goes deep into our hearts and it starts to reveal our motives, why we do what we do. It starts to reveal our thoughts. It starts to unearth the hurts that we've buried. But look again at how this process is described in Hebrews 4.13. It's described as being open, laid bare, uncovered, stripped. So this is describing spiritual nakedness that makes most of us want to hide and cover up. And isn't this what we do? As soon as God starts to really get into our business, we cover up with busyness and drivenness and restlessness. But until we invite God into those deep places within us, until we acknowledge that we are lousy saviors and that we need healing, until we do that, we are never going to experience joy or rest. And we won't know what it is to truly abide in Christ. And when our trust in God is broken, when it's somehow fractured, self-reliance is what results. And self-reliance is the opposite of abiding in Christ. And self-reliance actually sometimes earns us accolades because we're accomplishing things that the world celebrates. But so quickly it can lead us to sin. And it can lead to us putting ourselves, whether we realize it or not, into the role of God or being the master of our fate. And self-reliance, no matter how much stuff we are accomplishing, is the opposite of dependence on the Holy Spirit. It is the opposite of abiding. And when God sees our ungodly self-reliance, he grieves. And he grieves because he knows where this is coming from. And he knows that something has wounded our true identity. Our true identity is his daughter's. And one of my favorite quotes is from St. Julian of Norwich, who wrote, when God sees sin, he sees pain in us. 
And I think it's super important that we understand that is God's stance toward us when we are in sin. And when he sets out to prune our hearts, his motive is compassion. He sees pain in us. But because we're his precious daughters, he's not going to leave us in that place by saying that sin doesn't matter. He's going to always seek to lay bare those places on our hearts so that he can go there and bring healing to our pain. And my friends, I know personally firsthand how painful this is because I am well familiar with self-reliance. And it has led me at certain points in my life to make vows like, I will not share my weakness. I will be guarded. It is not safe to be vulnerable and share honestly. I have made and I've lived out those vows. And do you know where they have led me? Each and every one, each and every time. It leads me onto the gerbil wheel of performance because day in and day out, I am in the mode of self-protection and I'm in the mode of proving, proving my own worth. But God has been mercifully at work in my life in painful ways, like this is pruning, this is cutting, but he's been at work and he's teaching me how to step off that gerbil wheel. And I am learning how to abide in Christ. I am learning how to invite God to prune my heart because I know this leads to freedom and rest. And I've learned that when I self-protect, and that's connected to all those vows I was sharing earlier, when I self-protect, I cannot love. I cannot rest. And actually, I'm behaving like a slave. What do I mean by that? A slave to what? Well, a slave to performance, a slave to others' expectations, where I absolutely cannot bear the thought that I'm going to disappoint people. A slave to perfectionism where I can't bear the thought that I'm not going to do everything perfectly. And God holds out his hand to me and he's holding out his hand to you. And he says, come away with me. Come to a quiet place where all that matters is who you are in my eyes. Fix your eyes on me. Lock eyes with me. Let the rest of the world fade away as you feel me speak over you. I am looking at you, my precious daughter, and I am satisfied. I'm looking at you, my precious daughter, and I say you are good. I am looking at you, my precious daughter, and I am pleased. And you might wonder, how can God look at me? How can he say this when he can see all that's wrong with me? How can he say this about you when he can see the things that are wrong with you too, when he knows that we are not perfect? We find the answer in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And we read this, we have a great high priest. He has gone up into heaven. He is Jesus, the son of God. So let us hold firmly to what we believe. We have a high priest who can feel it when we are weak and hurting. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he did not sin. So let us boldly approach God's throne of grace because there we will receive mercy we will find grace to help us when we need it. My friends, we have a merciful high priest and he was radically stripped naked. Everything was laid bare when he hung on the cross. And as he died, paying the price for our sin, he called out, it is finished. We don't have to justify ourselves anymore. It is finished. We can walk away from our work because we know who we are. We can walk away from people-pleasing because we know who we are and we know what we are worth. So I wish our listeners could have seen us before we hit record when I was sharing about my incredibly frustrating morning. <laughs> and, and I asked you if you would speak words of affirmation over me. And my goodness, my friend, you just really ministered to my heart. Thank you so much. That was 
exactly what I needed to hear. And can I just say, I am beyond grateful for our conversations on and off this podcast because while you share your heart so generously and so beautifully with thousands of women, Lisa, as your real life friend, I know the unpublished pieces of your heart, you know, those pieces that are just so sacred and so tender and so fragile. And um, I know your wounds. And I have witnessed a pruning and a cleansing that I have seen bring you to your knees. And you, my friend, have remained on the vine. You were not just grafted. You have remained. You keep the connection through such obedience and prayer, no matter the trial's difficulty. I think people would be just amazed, (laughs) amazed. And it's your faithfulness in the hard seasons that has often been the fertilizer that has grown the seeds of my own faith. And I love that because isn't that what this is all about? Fruit implies inherent reproduction, right? Because fruit has seeds and seeds yield more fruit. And that is what you, you've you done for me. It's what you continue to do for me. And I hope this is okay. I'm going to share your story, Lisa, <laughs> because it was just so good. But you shared with me not that long ago when you were in a season of real deep suffering. And I remember you telling me how you were sitting at church and you were focusing on Jesus on the crucifix. And like you just wanted to like pound on his chest and like you just needed answers. And you said that you heard him speak to you. And what you heard him say was, I am cleaning the wound. And I have been thinking about that for for so long now. And, and just this image, right, of God cleaning our wounds. Like, what does that even look like? And I love it because John 15, verse 3, it gives us the answer, right? It says, you are already made clean by the word which I have spoken you. So it's through his word, right? The word of God. It's described as a cleansing agent. If you look at Ephesians 5.26, it says that Christ might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. But here's the thing. Like, this is a power washing, right? We're, like, God isn't taking, like, a hanky and dipping it in water and, like, like gently <laughs> cleaning the wound, right? Like, we're talking about a deep cleaning, as you pointed, a deep cleaning that comes from a place of compassion, right? But boy, does it hurt. And um, I remember when you told me the story about hearing clean the wound, and I couldn't get that out of my head. I shared it with my friend Beth, who's a nurse, and she went on to share with me the process of cleansing a wound, what that actually looks like in the ER. And she said that when a doctor removes dead or unhealthy tissue from a wound, it's called debridement. And she went on to say that this process can be so painful that often the patient's going to need a local anesthetic or sometimes full anesthesia. They've got to just knock them out. But they have to do it. And she said removing the dead tissue is essential for a couple of reasons. And the first is because the dead tissue gives bacteria a place to grow, which can then cause infection. And the second reason, she said, is because dead tissue can slow the growth of healthy tissue. And then (laughs) the killer, the best way to remove the dead tissue is to cut it out. So there you have it, the pruning, the cutting out. And she said, this is very stressful. And patients, as you can imagine, might be tempted when they hear what this procedure is to just deal with the wound as is, right? I think that's when we're like, you know what? It's not that bad. (laughs) Like I could just live with this. And don't we feel this temptation 
with our emotional and spiritual wounds, right? When like everything just feels like too much. Like we don't want God coming in and like making it worse. It is not our human tendency to embrace pain, right? Or or my favorite quote is from Thomas Kempis in The Imitation of Christ. He says, it's not our human tendency to embrace the cross and love it. And yet it's precisely in that moment, as you talked about, when we are laid bare, that God wants to enter in and heal us. And I think so often when bad things happen or when things don't go as we planned, we see this wound experience as a setback, right? It looks like it's a hindrance to becoming what we're supposed to be, another sign that, well, God couldn't possibly care about us or want what's best for us. And yet the wound, the wound is not a hindrance. The wound is, it's his entrance into our hearts. It's an opportunity to clear away everything that's dead and keeping us from new, healthy growth. But here's the catch, right? We have to choose whether or not we let him in, right? Which means pain. And I've just, I have a quick, funny story. It was about a year ago when I decided that I was going to get back into shape. (laughs) I found this workout video on Netflix. And I kid you not, it was day one and I started and I think it was just like squats or something. But I'm I was in so much pain, so much pain that I literally thought, well, surely this can't be good for me. Like I was convinced I was hurting myself. And just as I was about to stop, and this is a true story, the instructor, she looked at me through my TV and she said, and I quote, do not quit when you feel pain. Pain is a sign that transformation is happening. True story. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this your side hustle? Are you actually some like Catholic motivational speaker? Because that was really, really super impressive. But yeah, don't stop. Don't quit when you feel pain. That's when God is doing the work. And the thing is, the pain does end, right? The pain does end. The wounds do heal. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so I just want to end by encouraging everyone, just stay on that vine. Stay on the vine and be more than grafted to it. Remain in it. And, and so practically speaking, maybe you're asking, well, what does that look like? Well, I could give you three things you could do to remain. Receive the Eucharist. It's the wine of the grapevine. Receive it as, as often as you can. And then avoid sin, right? Sin is what separates us. So avoid sin. And you do that by staying entrenched in the sacraments. And then finally, read the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. As we like to say, Open your heart, right? Open your Bible, invite him in. His word is cleansing. You know, Laura, that was, um, it's it's kind of a wild thing when someone tells your story back to you and you'd forgotten it. <laughs> and um, And we need that. We need that. We need friends who will do that for us. You know, the enemy's technique always is to get us to forget forget the times that God showed up um, and spoke to us or, or healed or came through or whatever it would be. And it's our job to remember. And we need our friends to help us remember. And you just did that for me. And I'm I'm so grateful. And I have just treasured these conversations and this time of diving deeply into these I am statements. And 
this is the close of our series on these statements of Jesus. I'm a little bit sad about it. I wish he had a couple more. Um, We've seen Jesus as the bread of life who satisfies our deepest longings. We've seen Jesus as the light of the world who dispels our darkness. Jesus is the door who welcomes us home. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. He's the resurrection and the life. He brings hope to the dead. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He rescues, he saves us. And then what we talked about today, Jesus is the true vine. And yes, he prunes. Yes, he cuts. But he also heals. And if you're wanting to explore these I am statements more or the teachings of Hebrews, which we were talking about today, I just want to mention that we dive into both of these themes in the Bible studies, Touching the Divine. That's our study on the Gospel of John and Grounded in Hope. That's our study on the book of Hebrews. Um, Transformation happens when we open up scripture for ourselves and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And he will. He will speak to you through his word. So if you've never done Bible study before, or if you've done some studies but not those, I just want to encourage you to check those out on our website. And I've got some parting questions for you, something to chew on over the next week about what we talked about today. And it's this, have you experienced God's word moving in your life, revealing motives, thoughts, and hurts? How have you responded? What difference would it make if you truly believed the words of St. Julian of Norwich? When God sees sin, he sees pain in us. And those parting questions you can find in our show notes. But before we go, I just want to encourage you to join us for our next series when we are inviting you to go on a Lenten pilgrimage with us right from the comfort of your own home. And we're going to be exploring the Psalms of Ascent, which I'm super excited about. And the word translated ascent means to go up. So it gives an idea of being on a journey of moving to a higher place spiritually. So that is what we are inviting you to do with us, to go on a journey, a Lenten pilgrimage, as we move towards the celebration of Easter. So that is just around the corner. I'd love to close this in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, thank you so much for wanting us to be grafted to you, wanting us to be so organically, intimately connected to you. Thank you for drawing near to us, us with all our mess, us with all our imperfections, us with all our wounds. And thank you for always drawing near, yes, oftentimes with a scalpel in hand, but drawing near as the great physician. Drawing near is the one who more than anything wants us to bring healing and wants us to experience the fullness of life that you promise, the abundant life that you promise. May we come to know you more and more intimately in all the ways that we've learned in the I Am statements. May we encounter you in our day-to-day life. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, and give us eyes to see it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. We would love for you to subscribe, share today's episode with a friend, and leave a rate and review. And don't forget, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. This is where you'll get sneak peeks into new content, special events, and exclusive discounts sent directly to your inbox. Finally, we know how important it is to keep the conversation going. So we've created a private Facebook group exclusive to listeners like you. You can find the newsletter and Facebook details all in our show notes. It's our privilege to unpack God's word with you, and we can't wait to do it again next week. Until then, friends, don't forget to open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in.